This is the primal scream of a dying regime. Pray for our enemies, because we're going medieval on these people. Here's not got a free shot on all these networks lying about the people. The people have had a belly full of it. I know you don't like hearing that. I know you try to do everything in the world to stop that, but you're not going to stop it. It's going to happen. And where do people like that go to share the big lie? MAGA media. I wish in my soul, I wish that any of these people had a conscience. Ask yourself, what is my task and what is my purpose? If that answer is to save my country, this country will be saved. War Room. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Question one, did Mr. Trump rape Miss Carol? The jury voted no. On the question of uh, did Mr. Trump sexually abuse Ms. Carroll, yes, the jury said. Uh, moving down to question four, Ms. Carroll was injured as a result of Mr. Trump's conduct. The jury said yes, and if yes, inserting a, an amount of $2 million, a, a monetary judgment against the former president. Keep in mind, Eugene uh, uh, Carroll's attorneys did not ask for a specific amount of money. They left it to the jury. Um, moving on to the question, uh, Mr. Trump's conduct was willfully or wantonly negligent, reckless, or done with a uh, conscious disregard of the rights. Uh, yes, the jury said. And moving down to the defamation uh, question, there were ultimately five questions related to that accusation. Did Ms. Carroll prove by preponderance of the evidence that Mr. Trump's statement was defamatory? The jury said yes, it was. Uh, did Ms. Carroll prove by clear and convincing evidence that Mr. Trump's statement was false? The jury said yes. Mr. Trump made the statements with actual malice. The jury, yes. Um, and then uh, we're still waiting on some of these other questions. But again, the uh, the big headline there, the jury finding that Mr. Trump did sexually uh, uh, sexually abused Ms. Kirk. There should be any liability findings, so we'll pursue it. We'll pursue that. that. That's what I just said about the appeal, right? We're going to be appealing it. But she claimed all along that she had been raped by Donald Trump. That's what this case is all about. Can you talk about Trump's decision not to attend his trial and not to testify? Yeah, this was a circus atmosphere. Um, and having him be here would be more of a circus. And again, what I said in the summation yesterday, you know, reigns true, um, holds true. It's that, you know, what more could he say other than I didn't do it? And he said that on the road here. He, you know, it's hard to prove a negative. Molly, I could say you stole my pen, prove you didn't do it. How would you prove it? To say you didn't do it, right? I mean, it's sort of where we're at. So, you know, it's 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 very simplistic to say, oh, he should have testified. He had nothing to say other than what he's already said on the road. So you talked a little bit about how perplexing the verdict was. I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good to see you, man. Good seeing you. Uh, how does that play in the appeal? The fact that she called yeah. the rape case all along. And yeah, I think it's an inconsistent verdict, right? And um, it's something that obviously will be another issue for appeal. But Jim, the issue for the appeals were late, really months ago, when when things like you know Donald Trump's attempt to have the the dress tested for DNA after they sent it into a lab and didn't come up with semen. I think that's something that was important. Um, the fact that the Reed Hoffman, the Democratic financier, you know, who Miss Carroll was not candid about when she testified initially under oath in her deposition, um, you know, that should come into this case. The Access Hollywood tape should not have come into this case. There's a federal rule called 403 that balances out inflammatory and prejudicial things, and that certainly was one of them. So, but there's plenty of issues to appeal. And uh, look, that's what happens, right? You know, we're 
we're in one sense gratified, and I know some people in this camp are very happy um, that you know the rape claim was rejected. But you know, I'm not, and uh, I am happy about that certainly. But I'm not happy that he was found liable for anything whatsoever because on this evidence, I didn't think he should have been. Just joins us, Brendan. What does this mean for 2024? Can you adequately make a prediction? In what is it? It's May of 2023. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to note in, in 2015 at this time, Donald Trump was in single digits. So you're right, a lot can change. But I think if we're if we're expecting this to dethrone Donald Trump, we're going to have to start seeing uh, a lot of evidence of change of how Republican voters think. And I, I don't know that we can really bank on that. I mean, the first thing, obviously, to, to look for, we know Donald Trump is going to deny, as he already has, uh, what's going on here. But are any of his opponents going to say anything about this? I mean, this should be the type of disqualifying event uh, for the highest office in the land, you would think, in any normal circumstances. Obviously, we're, we're in a different place, but it should at least be obvious that this is an opening, perhaps, for somebody running against Donald Trump to raise this question. Um, I'm very skeptical that any of them are going to do that. A lot of them are, frankly, afraid of Donald Chris Trump. Chris Christie? Afraid of his voters. Chris Christie? Yeah, Chris Christie certainly may, and, and I'll be interested to see if he does. Somebody somewhere needs to not just let this be a blip, because um, otherwise it will be, especially among Republican-based primary voters. Uh, you know, we, we often, I think, fool ourselves into thinking that this type of information floods through to Republican primary voters, and, and it's all that they're seeing. It's probably not something that they're going to see a lot of, frankly, unless somebody running against Donald Trump forces him to confront it. Uh, and then so far, we haven't seen a lot of people. Obviously, they didn't do that during during uh, the, the Alvin Bragg indictment. In fact, they rushed to his defense. Yeah. Is this going to be another situation where they, they rushed to his defense? And we're going to have to see that, that. That is obviously the very first thing that we need to keep an eye on. So Roberta Kaplan has um, uh, spoken to reporters. She said all of, we are very happy. And that's it. Eugene uh, Carroll did not say anything to reporters, at least not at the microphone. She might have said something when she was amidst that um, giant gaggle of reporters as she was trying to get in the car. Uh, but I, I want to ask you about the Texas Hollywood tape. And Brennan, forgive me if I'm not remembering. Were you still with Speaker Paul Ryan when that came out? I sure was, yeah. So what was it like? Yeah, I mean, I, I, we, I think we saw the same blowback that, um, you know, it seems to be, I think, what we understand probably is likely to happen here. You know, we, uh, the former speaker came out and basically said, look, you, everybody for themselves, we can't defend this person anymore. Um, and realized very quickly that that's not where the party was. Uh, and, and that that was seen as, 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 uh, giving in to the left somehow. And as you articulated very well, he tends to use these things to his, to his advantage. Um, as he, a bludgeon, I think I said. Yeah, he plays the victim uh, very well, and, and people go along with it. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, I think we need to be skeptical that uh, presenting this information to Republican voters is going to create a backlash to him, or rather, um, as you said, more evidence that, that they're out to get him. It's this, this cycle yeah. that, that keeps him afloat, well, can um, I, and it's remarkable. Can I ask you to be a bit introspective here and, and, and try to figure out why Republican voters are so um, warm to that, to that feeling that Donald Trump is the aggrieved and representing them as the aggrieved? So any allegation against him, any criticism against, against him is, is thereby a criticism of them. them. Why, why were they so... Why did they embrace Donald Trump and not someone else in the Republican Party? And why do they still? Well, I mean, I, mean I, I think he was the first to give voice to something that has been in the party for a long time. Maybe not the first person to give voice to it as, as a candidate. There has long been on, you know, on conservative talk radio, the Internet, 
places where there was this elites versus regular people. Um, and the, the Republican Party for a long time sort of played into that notion of the establishment, the rich folks. Um, and Donald Trump, you know, as flawed of a candidate as he was, really gave voice to those people who felt like uh, th- there were these elites, there were Washington who were, who were out to change their way of life. And, and he made it more of a cultural thing. And look, I think something that people need to appreciate there's this sense that if only people understood how bad a guy Donald Trump was, they would change their view. Lots of Trump supporters understand that he is morally flawed. They understand that he's not a good guy, but he's their bad guy. He's their guy fighting for them. And that's really all that matters. And when you think that this is a matter of your way of life, if, if, if it's cultural, it really doesn't matter all that other stuff. And that's why they're willing to stand with him time and time again, because he makes the right enemies. He'll say whatever it takes to get the job done. Uh, and they admire that. And this is, again, this is a, a, a I don't want to call it strain, but it's been a, a factor of the Republican Party for a very long time. He saw it and took advantage of it and continues to today. Okay, uh, welcome. It is uh, Tuesday, 9 May in the year of our 2023. It is a victory day in uh, Russia, and of course yesterday was VE Day in uh, Western Europe and the United States, the end of the war in Europe 78 years ago. Uh, the wars in Europe uh, may have ended 78 years ago, but uh, the world's on fire right now. The uh, I want everybody to take a deep breath. And the reason we played that clip, and we had Katie Turr and uh, Brendan Buck, and remember, Brendan Buck, I believe, was the head, the comms director, head of communications for Paul Ryan back in 16. I want everybody to take a deep breath and just, you know, think back to the weekend of uh, Billy Bush weekend. When everybody lost their head and running around, and uh, it's all over. You know, Paul Ryan punched out, Mitch McConnell punched out, everybody punched out. Um, we in the Trump campaign, the inner circle did not punch out. And in fact, said what Brendan Buck said there internally, this election is not about locker room talk. And uh, you heard uh, the president's attorney. This is going to be appealed. Look, it's New York City. It's a New York jury. Um, they're going to appeal this. Uh, they're going to fight it. So people should just take a deep breath and realize this is not what this election is about. This is not where the country is right now. The country is in a free fall. Over at the White House right now, we have the first round of the meetings with um, we had the first round of the meetings with um, the Speaker and Schumer and McConnell and, of course, Biden. And they're talking about what the most important thing is we're going to talk about the next 24, 48 hours, the financial condition of the country and how we're going to get ourselves out of this complete mess. We're going to have E.J. and Tony is going to join us. Fox News has a story. Guess what? In the first seven months of the year, we're going to be $1 trillion, another trillion dollars added uh, to that we're behind of the, what the projections were by like a trillion dollars. This deficit this year is not going to be one five. This deficit this year, I think, is going to be over two trillion dollars. A big part of that is the decline in, uh, in in tax revenues. Of course, this morning we uh, we went through uh, everything. We we talked about the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is essentially bankrupt. Now they got a, they have a trillion dollars of losses on their balance sheet given interest rates. The country, the financial condition of the country is complete shambles. And what you have is lawfare against Donald J. Trump. If these kind of things upset you, then you're not going to be, you're not going to be right for this because they're going to come at Trump with much worse. They're going to come at Trump. They're going to indict him two or three more times. 
They're going to indict him. You know, Jack Smith's going to indict him. Jack Smith's going to indict him, or the the left is going to run him out of town. Jack Smith's going to indict him with this with this uh, with this grand jury in Washington D.C. He's going to get indicted down in Georgia. He's going to have multiple indictments. They're going to be coming at him for all type of criminal activity, all type of uh, insurrection. They can't beat him at the polls today. The polls couldn't be clearer. Sixty-two percent. Um, I think 60% for Trump, DeSantis now in the teens, DeSantis uh, failure to launch. By the way, we're going to have, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have some, uh, we're going to have the death settings meetings over. And did anything, can we pull a clip or anything happen? Just, okay, we just ended, even as we spoke, by the way, one hour. Yeah, that looked like an intense meeting. <laughs> one hour and 12 minutes, have a cup of coffee and move on. We're going to have a lot to go through. we got EJ and Tony here. Um, we're going to play uh, Steve Cortez. We're going to play Steve Cortez um, not doing his whiteboard on War Room this morning, doing it in the Stuart Varney show on Fox Business. We're going to get into all that. We've got EJ and Tony, uh, and we'll get any updates we can possibly get. Look like look like Kevin McCarthy did what he was supposed to, was hold the line, uh, did not buck. Because what they want, as we told you this morning, they want a temporary increase to the debt ceiling, quote-unquote, to give them more time to negotiate. We're not going to let them off the mat. You can't let them off the mat. I'll have more to say about this throughout the show, about this uh, results of this defamation case uh, throughout the show. And, in fact, Caroline Levitt is going to join us. I think we may try to get Joanna Miller on here. We have a lot to go through. We're going to talk about what Tacopino just said. Uh, so we're packed uh, wall-to-wall. we got the Sequoia Capital situation in the second hour. Uh, I want to make sure everybody just take a deep breath. This is once again, and that's why we've had Brandon Buck up there with Paul Ryan. All those guys abandoned us. In the middle of October of 2016, and two and a half weeks later, three weeks later, we delivered the biggest come-from-behind victory in the history of presidential elections. Everybody take a deep breath on the day that President Trump, the polling on President Trump, is absolutely extraordinary. And so just understand, you got to strap in because this is just the first of many. And I told you the other day that you're going to have, you're going to have an outcome here. You're going to have an outcome. Uh, my trusty production assistant, yes. No, no movement whatsoever. This is fantastic. So we're having an update. EJ and Tony looks like no movement whatsoever over at the White House. So they're both. That's hey, they got respect for you. You headed the credit committee. Okay, short commercial break. We're gonna come back. We got the Steve Cortez situation. We're gonna have EJ and Tony on the negotiations going on. We got a little packed up. We're gonna also talk about this situation. The lawfare against Donald J. Trump. We told you this was not for the faint of heart. That's where you're the credit committee. Short commercial break. Be back in a moment. President Trump recently issued a warning from his home at Mar-a-Lago. And I want to quote this. Our currency is crashing and will soon no longer be the world standard, which will be the greatest defeat, frankly, in 200 years. End quote. He did that in the interview that I had with him a couple of weeks ago at his home. Now, there are three reasons the central banks are dumping the U.S. dollar. Inflation, deficit spending, and our insurmountable national debt. The fact is there's one asset that has withstood famine, wars, and political and economic upheaval dating back to biblical times. That would be gold. Gold has been a hedge against chaos from time immemorial. 
and you can own it in a tax-sheltered retirement account with the help of Birch Gold. That's right. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k, maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. And the best part, you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Let me repeat that. You don't pay a penny out of pocket. Just text Bannon to 989898 for your free info kit. They'll hold your hand through the entire process. Let me repeat that. Birch Gold professionals will hold your hand through this entire process. Now think about this. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. It always has been. How much more time does the dollar actually have? Protect your savings with gold like I did. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. Text Bannon to 989898. Get your free info kit on gold. Text again, Bannon, to 989898. Remember, the best part is you don't pay a penny out of pocket to get this information and start the process. Do it today. Take action. Stephen K. Bannon. Spokesman for Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020. Will he be... Well, will he be back uh, with Trump in 2024? Hmm. Well, Steve's got a big announcement, and he's going to make that announcement right here, right after this break. Look who's here now. Put him on the camera. There he is. (laughs) Former Trump. Former Trump campaign advisor, Steve Cortez. Now, you worked with Trump in 2016. You worked with him in 2020. And now you've got an announcement. Who are you backing? I do, Stuart. I'm backing Governor Ron DeSantis for president and just joined uh, his PAC, his aligned PAC, never back down. Uh, Look, I was honored to work for President Trump, and I think he was exactly the disruptor that the country needed back in 2016. But when I look at the situation now and going forward, I believe the best option to both win the general election and to govern effectively, to implement a conservative agenda in office, I believe the best option is Ron DeSantis. And let me tell you one other important reason I'm backing Ron DeSantis is that uh, the idea of a rematch, of a rematch of Biden versus Trump is something this country overwhelmingly does not want. It is a movie that we have already seen. Nobody liked it. And we know the ending. Uh, To give you some of the numbers on that, uh, uh, NBC News polling shows that 70 percent of Americans do not Not want Biden. Not that I love the voice of Steve Cortez, but uh, let's go ahead and stop and let's go to the live feed outside the White House. We'll come back to Cortez. Let's go to the live feed. And the sooner they get together, the better. If they get together, the bill will pass both the House and the Senate. On a bipartisan basis. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, Leader McConnell clearly said the United States will not default on its debt. Can you say the same that the United States will not default on yeah, its debt? Yeah, because the House raised the debt limit. I'm Speaker of the House. I'm not the leader of the Senate. I'm not the president. So your question is, will not default? I've done everything in my power to make sure it will not default. We have passed a bill that raised the debt limit. Now, I haven't seen that in the Senate. So I don't know. The president has said that he is willing to negotiate over spending, but he's not going to do so with a gun to the head of the American economy. Did he reiterate that to you today? And what was your response? What's interesting is I would never want to put any gun to anybody's head. That's why I came February 1st. I sat out here. I want to have something responsible. I want to have something sensible. And then I just say to you and the American public, 
would it be wrong if you took hard-working taxpayers' money and you had billions of dollars appropriated for a, pa a pandemic that is now over, why wouldn't you pull that back? Would it be wrong to put some control? Remember what we're talking about. A debt ceiling is like your, your child having a credit card. We reached the limit. We're responsible for paying it. But would you just raise the limit without seeing how you're spending your money? That's all we're talking about. So I understand that the president has to sign it and it has to pass the Senate. So why couldn't we, for the last 97 days, talk about this? Why would it, when a president who was vice president before, if you look at all of his quotes, this is a man who prided himself, they called him the Biden negotiations. This is a man, the President Biden, when he was senator, he actually voted against debt ceilings because they said they didn't cut enough in spending. This is a, a president who, when he was vice president, Joe Biden, when it was a $14 trillion debt, said, we have to do something about this big debt that we have. It is now $31 trillion. I think every single household believes you need to be able to do something responsible and sensible, and that's what we've been trying to do for the last three months. Leader McConnell, Leader McConnell what, gives, what gives you that confidence after this meeting, Leader McConnell, that there won't be a default? When you said that there, the U.S. has never defaulted and never will, what gives you that confidence right now to say that? <laughs> the United States of America is not going to default. We are having a debate here in conjunction with raising the debt ceiling as to whether or not after dropping $2.6 trillion on the American people in the last Congress on a, on a partisan vote, we ought to have at least some restraint on our spending related to the debt ceiling. And I, this is not unusual. We've been here before. Debt ceilings have frequently carried other measures. What we have here is we're running out of time. And it's time for the president to get serious uh, and to sit down with the speaker and get a solution. But remember what we're talking about here. No, just for all of you to understand what we're talking about, okay? The Democrats think it's really extreme that we want to say we should only spend the next year what we spent five months ago. They say it's draconian. What we spent five months ago is more than how much President Biden, at that time Vice President Obama, proposed to spend at this time. Were people being hurt? Were people not, were people not getting their veteran care? Were people not getting everything they asked for five months ago? That is what we're asking for. Is that too much? that we can raise a debt limit, spend what we spent five months ago, pull back that COVID money that has sat there for two years, put work requirements in that help the supply chain, help people get promoted and get more jobs, make us energy independent so Americans have a lower cost in their energy bills. Now, if they have a better idea, I'm sitting here like I have for the last 97 days. Tell me what it is. Yes. Uh, did you address the argument from the administration that House Republicans want to cut veterans' benefits? And then also, sir, uh, are you confident that uh, if the, the House Republicans would accept anything less than the House bill if the cuts were lessened? Listen, first of all, cutting the veterans is a lie. Where in the bill does it say we cut veterans? 
you'll find next week when we do our appropriation bill, we increase the funding to veterans. But this is what I'm talking about. That type of behavior is pure political rhetoric. This is too important issue to play political games with. So if one side's going to sit back and say those type of things, all I'm asking is that we spend the amount of money we spent five months ago. Were veterans getting their care five months ago? We're actually going to increase. And, and how the system works, it's just like any other household. You get a certain amount of income in, then you prioritize how you spend it. In our appropriation process, Republicans and Democrats alike will get to sit in committee and decide how much to spend. The difference is that we'll spend what we spent five months ago and we can decide what our priorities. So we'll probably look with a fine-tooth comb. Where is there some waste in government? I'm sure every single American can point a lot out. So we can spend more on the veterans and we can spend less on the waste. If the president doesn't move, will you, for the sake of the country, well, this is so great for the sake of the country and why I wanted to make sure we would never be in a place like this. Ninety-seven days ago, I sat in the Oval Office with the President and said, let's find an agreement. When he would not move and he would not negotiate, even though the majority of Americans believe that what you should do, and that's, this isn't the same Biden that was a senator and a vice president who believed that we should negotiate, who always argued that you had to be together. But even though that he wouldn't do that, the House passed a bill to make sure for the American people that we wouldn't get there. Are we able to get there? Yes, sir. Was anything accomplished at today's meeting? One. Two, is this country looking down the road at future generations at 40, 50, 60 trillion dollars in debt? And when does the card max out? Thank you. Well, it's more than that because when you think about this, and this is what the American public should, should think about, how do you get in a situation like this? You can put blame on all sides. You spend more money than you bring in. On a 50-year average, we normally spend about 21% of GDP. But what happened when the Democrats took the majority, they increased that to more than 24%. Now, is there enough money coming in? Well, on a 50-year average, we usually bring in about 17% roughly of GDP. Right now, we're at 20%. Do you know how many times we've ever brought in this much money or this higher percent? Only two times in modern history, in 1944 and 2000. So we have more money coming in at any given time. But what's the problem is they've increased spending by $6 trillion. So that brought us inflation. That brought us this problem. You have a $31 trillion debt. Now, what does that mean? That's bigger than our whole economy by 20%. We've only been in this situation by a percentage one other time after during World War II. Now, the real concern that I have, if you don't tackle or start tackling this problem now, you're harming all the future generations. I think every American would care for their children and their grandchildren. So is it too much to ask that we simply spend what we spent five months ago? Is it too much to ask to say, let's take that COVID money that you did not spend and let's give that back to the taxpayer to be able to raise the debt ceiling? During the, meeting, during the meeting, did you get the impression that the president could use other options such as invoking 14th Amendment? None of that was brought up. Did he make any offers to you? Any proposals? The president and yourself are part of that? Yes. What we agreed to is we'll have the staff come together and meet during the week and we'll get back together on Friday and see if we all get in place. Five of you or just the two you No, all five. Okay. Did he make any proposals to you and you offer any ideas? I'm sorry, what? This has been a month long impasse. Three months long impasse. We've heard the dire warnings from the Treasury Secretary 
Is this fight worth the risk to the U.S. economy? No, that's why the House Republicans passed a debt ceiling bill, where we actually lifted the debt ceiling. The Senate has not. I mean, I've listened to Chuck Schumer all this time. He hasn't done anything. And I don't know what he needs in the debt ceiling. I know they passed in March. They made that um, Maine maple syrup month. If he needs that in the debt ceiling, I'm willing to agree to that too. But I wish they had stopped playing political games. That they would give you a, please let me finish. They'd stop giving the rhetoric to saying certain things are being cut or not. I want the American people to understand. Is it too much that we ask that we simply spend what we spent five months ago? Is it too much to ask that we find waste in government, like that 50 to 60 billion that we spent that no one used for COVID with the pandemic over? Is it too much to ask that we cut red tape so we could build roads and highways and solar and wind panels and, and make us energy independent? If that's too much for the Democrats, tell me what they think is right. Do they believe they should just keep spending their grandchildren's money and, put, and create more inflation? I think that's wrong. Yes, sir. I don't think a short-term extension does anything. We've got a timetable here. I know the president wasted 97 days. You know, I, I came and sat with him, and I told him that, listen, we should work together. Let's be responsible. I won't predetermine what we have to have. I think you should spend less than you spent last year since we're, we spent too much money. I think we should find ways that we can grow this economy. He said he wouldn't, you, you reported this, how many times he sat there and said he wouldn't meet with us. Then he changed, even though he tweeted after that meeting that he has said he agreed to meet on ways to make the economy stronger and way we would find savings. He changed, and he met with me the next day at the prayer breakfast and said we were going to get together. Well, he changed his mind apparently. And then he said we had to pass a budget that does nothing with a debt ceiling. Well then, Senator Schumer would tweet at us every day. We had to have a plan, even though he didn't produce one. Well, we produced a plan, we raised the debt ceiling, and we sent it to the Senate. The challenge here is the president wasted 97 days, and now the Secretary of Treasury has come and told us the date's even sooner. Thankful that we did something early so we wouldn't be in that problem. Now I got to see what the Senate could do so we can go to Congress. Mr. Yes, Mr. Speaker, a, Mr. Speaker, a yeah. jury just found Donald Trump liable of sexual abuse. Do you still support him? You know what? I've been in this meeting. Let me find out what they say. Do you think any progress has been made through this meeting today? Well, the progress is made is that we were actually able to meet. So that's a difference in the president's take. For 97 days, he denied the ability for anybody to negotiate. I don't know how many times you asked him about it. I'd ask him every day. I offered to bring food to meet. I would do anything we could that we could meet together and work on a bill so we wouldn't be at this day. You know, what's interesting is I've said the same thing when it comes to the border. And now we have a problem with Title 42 this week. Now the House, same thing. I tried to meet with him to how we could secure the border. He treated the debt limit just like he treated the border. He ignored it. But in the House, we will pass a bill this Thursday that could secure our border, deal with the Title 42 so these millions of people cannot enter illegally. We, we are trying to find solutions. We're trying to be responsible. We're trying to be sensible. But I think what we really need is a partner that's willing to work together. It's unfortunate that they don't even want to talk. Did he bring any offers to this meeting? Did he propose anything or did he just say that he doesn't like what you guys did and ask you to do something else? 
Yeah, that's pretty much. Mr. Baker, you've said pretty much. You've said that this has to be hashed out in the next few days in order to prevent Americans from feeling the impact of this. Mm-hmm. Can you assure them that they are not going to start to feel the economic pain from Look, this? Look, I, I, I am only elected to one house, and I, I think it's very important. Again, that's why I came here in February, the very beginning of February. I asked to meet sooner, but that's as soon as the president would meet with me. Think for one moment. Everybody knows how dire this is. This is the first time as president of the United States that he's had all four leaders together. Think of all the issues America has had from the border, from inflation, from a bank crisis because of the inflation they created. Never once has he brought the four leaders together. He's waited to just two weeks before. And the real question would be, would he even bring us together had we not passed the bill? That's not a way to govern. I, I, I'm not, I'm not holding anybody to any position. I'm simply saying, I want to meet. I want to work this out. I want to be respectful to your job. I want to be respectful to your position. So you know what we did? We told them exactly where we stood. We just didn't say it, we passed it to prove that we had the votes to do it because we don't want to take America down a path we wouldn't want. We wanted to do this months ago. Speaker, but unfortunately, he has a lot of power. You have not assured the public. He has a question. Thank you. They keep saying this has never defaulted before, but in fact, in 1862, 1933, 1968, and 1971, the U.S. did default. Is there like a plan B or something to happen in case all else fails? Well, it's concerning when I listen to the White House. They say they have no plan B. The only way to raise the debt ceiling is something has to pass the House and something has to pass the Senate. The House has done their job. So respectful to your question is, how can I guarantee, I'm not a senator, but what I can do is do our job in the House, and we have. Yes, sir. Yes. So the first question, what topics are going to be brought up on Friday that were not discussed today? And finally, can you reassure the American people that everything is going to be okay? Look, from a House perspective again, we're doing our job. I wanted to do it months before, but it's hard to work with somebody who said you can't meet with them. You know, what's interesting, I love America and I love our form of government. And what's really it's designed to do is after elections over, you come together and you negotiate. You find common ground. That's what I wanted to do the whole time. So when we devised our bill, I looked for ideas that's, that Democrats had proposed, like capping spending going forward pulling the COVID money. So that's what we passed. Last question. Congressman George Santos has just been charged by federal prosecutors. Do you believe that he should be removed from Congress? Should he be allowed to continue I'll, I'll to serve? Look, I'll look at the charges. Mr. Mr. Speaker, Speaker today's 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 you, you mentioned the Senate needs to vote. Do you think this can actually be uh, resolved through regular order? Well, through regular order, if we had, if we worked back in February 1st, the House could have passed a bill, the Senate could have passed a bill, we could have gone to conference, and we'd be all here doing the press conference together and talking. It's really difficult if this is the very first time the President would ever bring four leaders together. Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader on the Senate, we get together almost every week we're in session. We might not even have a topic and we'll vote different. I respect his position. I respect him as a leader of the Democrats. I tell him things that that we're going to propose. We may not always agree, but that's the way it should work. You should be able to talk and negotiate. It is unfortunate that you, so many of you are here today 
because the president has denied us to talk for the last 97 days. I'm hoping that the next two weeks are different. I'm hoping this president understands, as the leader of this nation, that you can't sit back and hold the country hostage. You can't be so extreme in your views that you're not going to negotiate. And to the American public, we've been very reasonable. I think spending the amount of money we spent five months ago, regardless of whether the president thinks it's cutting or not, is sensible. Every household would do that. Anytime a household has a problem, they would get together as a family and they would decide their priorities. That's all we want to do. And we want to raise the debt limit and we want to make our economy stronger. Thank you all. Have a good day. Stephen K. Bannon here with a warning. When's the last time you checked the legal title to your home? What if the title to your home, the legal document that proves you actually own it, is in some criminal's name? That's home title theft, and it's a total and complete nightmare. Home titles are online now. Once a criminal forges your signature, it's a race against time to stop him before he takes out loans against your home, or worse, sells your home. So when's the last time you checked your home's title? My partners at Home Title Lock demonstrate how criminals get you in minutes. They found the title to my home online and forged my signature, stating I sold my home. Some criminal was now the owner. Home Title Lock helps shut it down. That's what they do better than anyone on this planet. How do you know some criminal hasn't taken over your title to your home? Find out free with a sign-up and get 30 days. Let me repeat that. 30 days of free protection. When you use promo code Bannon at HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Bannon. That's promo code Bannon at HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Do this today. Take action, action, action. Okay, you've seen the there. That's at the White House. It's called the Sticks, right there in the uh, in the side entrance. That was Speaker of the House uh, Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell. I want to thank Real America's Voice for letting us blow a break there. Also, and I understand there's a lot of people I have a lot of problem with McCarthy. And look, we're not happy with this deal, but we we fought it. But when they got to 218, we said, we'll have their back. This is the start of a negotiation. When, when Biden jams them up in their face, we'll fight for real cuts. But in the, in the kabuki theater of this town, that was a master class right there in keeping your cool with a bunch of cheap shot questions asked. And it, it, look at the uh, lack of sophistication of the questions. Look at the whining of the questions. That, that's your media right there. Think about this for a second, what, what you've gone through in War Room, what you know about the, the situation with the country's finances, what you know about the economy, particularly many of you that have not had a chance to go to college or have not studied economics or have not taken Peter Navarro's macroeconomic class. Look at your knowledge level versus the unsophisticated whining of those questions. And Kevin McCarthy just had a master class right there, the take the high ground, the take the high ground. And this is a negotiation. Uh, I want to bring in EJ Antoni. EJ, give me your first cut. Uh, give me your hot take on what we just saw there and what we know at least went on the meeting, sir. 
Well, I think McCarthy holds all the cards, quite frankly. He has shown the, the American people uh, that, that he has actually done something. He has passed a bill and that the president is the one sitting on his hands who is doing absolutely nothing. And what's really interesting, I, I find, Steve, is that unlike in, in, PV, in previous debt ceiling fights, uh, what we're seeing this time around is in, obviously Republicans are in favor of not raising the debt ceiling, but we're seeing an increasing number of Democrats who actually would rather not raise the debt ceiling at all and simply do spending cuts. So the momentum definitely does appear uh, to be on McCarthy's side. EJ brings up a very, very important point, and this is why we had we started the show today with the polling of Rasmussen, not on the presidential polls, not on Bobby Kennedy and Trump together, not on uh, the, the problems Biden has, even in his own Democratic Party, but exactly on this issue. And the numbers are pretty shocking. I think 57 percent overall support uh, the Republican uh, position right now and that you have to have some cuts if you're going to talk about a race. Is it? In your mind, EJ, has this made, because Biden today, all they agreed was the staffs to come together. But remember, in agreeing to the staffs to come together, he's already surrendered his initial negotiating position, which is I'm not prepared to address anything except a a clean debt ceiling. That he's already already given up on because they're having the staffs meeting and they're going to meet again on, on Friday. Your, your thoughts about the process here and McCarthy keeping the high ground and already Biden starting to fold? Yeah, you know, I, I think Corinne's Jean-Pierre was kind of laying the groundwork, so to speak, uh, for this the last couple of days when she began to say things like the president is not willing to negotiate on the debt ceiling, but he is willing to negotiate on spending cuts. So essentially, it's kind of like a car dealer saying, I'm not going to negotiate on the price of the vehicle I'm selling you, but I will negotiate on your trade-in. So the White House seems to be setting up a situation where they will try to save face by saying, look, we did not negotiate on the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling is raised. And it just so happens that at the same time, we're in talks with the Republicans to cut a massive amount of government spending. So my guess is that is how the White House is probably going to spin this as a win for themselves, because again, it really seems like McCarthy holds the cards here. No, he did such a fantastic job of saying how how they had put a bill forward, how if it was going to affect the American people is because of of Biden's holding out. I want to go to just update the honors. By the way, massive breaking news, Tucker Carlson uh, just made an announcement about Twitter. We got the Cortez situation. We're going to have at the top of the hour more about uh, this decision, uh, this uh, liabilities case in New York. Uh, we're going to have Caroline Levitt join us. We're, we're absolutely jammed. Some of the Tina Desk of us that we've moved to the six o'clock hour. We've moved Natalie Winters there because I want to spend time with EJ. EJ, and for the audience, and can we can can uh, can the team make sure that Mo and uh, and 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 uh, Grace Chong have this so they can put it up in the in the um, in the live feed, and also if Denver can get it up. EJ, we've talked about this when you were on a, a couple uh, weeks ago, and we've been adamant about this tax. The economy slowing, the tax revenues are coming in l- lighter. But this this is from the Congressional Budget Office. This is not from Breitbart or Citizens Free Press or Gateway Pundit. The, the, the Congressional Budget Office headline: Federal Government under Biden runs. Uh, $1 trillion deficit in just seven months, actually $928 billion, but nearly a trillion dollars 
way off of their numbers because it looks like softening revenue. Your, your, your thoughts, EJ, you're the numbers guy. How bad can this get right now? How, how ugly uh, could this get as far as the deficit we're talking about in this current year, sir? Well, this can certainly get substantially worse, uh, be exactly because of, of what you were just saying, Steve. The fact is that revenue is coming in uh, dramatically less than anticipated. And the reason for that is because this president has done everything he can, particularly through a hostile regulatory environment, to stifle this economy. And that's exactly what's happening. Let's not forget, when Biden took over, inflation was only 1.4%, and the economy was growing $1.5 trillion at an annualized rate. And in just a year and a half, he managed to run up uh, inflation to the point where it was actually uh, prices were rising about as fast in a month as they rose in the entire year before he took office. And he also managed to give us two consecutive quarters of, of negative growth, a.k.a. a recession. And we're quickly headed back that way right now. To, but to put that deficit number kind of in, into some perspective for people, uh, in, in the first half of the current fiscal year, Right, or actually the first five months of the current fiscal year, the government has run as big of a deficit as it had in the first 11 months of the previous fiscal year. In other words, in less yes. than half a year, we have managed to rack up almost the same deficit that we had in the previous fiscal year. And somehow this president has the gall to get in front of a microphone and say that he is cutting the deficit. Nothing could be further from the truth. Remember, when we say fiscal year for the government, it starts 1 October. The last day of the fiscal year of the government is not December 31st. It is September 30th. So this is the first seven months. Now they get the first seven months. It's the Congressional Budget Office. It's a difference of $568 billion than it was the previous year. $568 billion bigger deficit. They attributed this. Revenues are off 10%. That's the tax. Revenues off 10% and the spending is up 8%. Folks, remember, you're the creditors committee. It was your having the back that gave McCarthy the confidence he had going to those sticks today. And that confidence, I can tell you, you could feel coming out of the coming out of the uh, White House. He had that in the Oval. He's got confidence. Why does he have confidence? MAGA has his back, right? And we're not totally happy. I understand that. But have his back. And we're negotiating a bankruptcy. And we're negotiating a bankruptcy. This happens in bankruptcies all the time where the company's in receivership. They've gone chapter uh, chapter 11 and, and they're reorganizing. So they still want the company to run. They don't want huge layoffs before the reorganization plan. And they've given you projections and particularly the banks and the junk bondholders projections. And oops, I missed it by 10 percent. You see this all the oops, I, I, th- I missed it by 10 percent. Oops, I missed it by t- revenues by 10 percent. But hey, dude. Why is the spending up 8%? Why, why are you increasing your spending when your revenues are dropping significantly? This is the mismanagement of the illegitimate Biden regime. Now we got to bring to the table, hey, man, all those numbers you've given us before, everything we've talked about, which gets to the $50 trillion and even trying to cut this, is, is, is off, should be off the table. This is, gonna, this is a bigger train wreck. And McCarthy couldn't know this because this just came out today. Fox News has got it from the Congressional Budget Office. I want everybody to read this. Fantastic. EJ, if you can just hold with me. By the way, blockbuster news of Tucker Carlson. Uh, he went full honey badger on Fox. He's going to restart his show on Twitter, walk away from this huge payment he's got at Fox, and fight it out in court on the NDA on their ability to do it. So Tucker's going hardcore. we got a lot to get through. It's a massive news day, but we're giving you the signal, not the noise. The signal is... 
the country's finances. That's the most important thing, not this situation up in New York. Short commercial break, back in a moment. A lot of people complain about the state of our country or the way woke corporations treat us and their employees. But it's not enough to complain. We need to change the way the marketplace works. And that starts with you and where you actually spend your money. In less than a year, Public SQ has grown to be the largest platform of patriotic, freedom-loving businesses the world has ever seen. Whether you want to support a restaurant that only buys from local farms, a coffee shop that took a stand against COVID mandates, or a bank that would never counsel you for your political views, Public SQ is your guide. Public Square connects freedom-loving Americans with the community and businesses they share their values. Here's the best part. It's absolutely free to join. Just go to publicsq.com. That's publicsq.com and download their app today. Simply create an account and begin your search. You can also list your business for free so your local community can support you. We can't always change the world, but we can change how and where you spend your hard-earned dollars. Begin your search at Public Square today. That's publicsq.com. That's publicsq.com. Take action. Stop giving your money to people that hate you and your values. Go to publicsq.com. The new social media taking on big tech, protecting free speech, and canceling cancel culture. Join the marketplace of ideas. The platform for independent thought has arrived. Superior technology. No more selling your personal data. No more censorship. No more cancel culture. Enough. Getter has arrived. It's time to say what you want the way you want. Download now. This new one looks pretty good. Really? Did you know Ron DeSantis backed deep cuts to Social Security and Medicare? Ron DeSantis? Yeah, he voted to cut Social Security or Medicare not once, not twice, but three times. DeSantis even tried to raise the retirement age to 70. I thought DeSantis was one of the good ones, but he's just another career politician. America needs Trump. Make America Great Again, Inc. is responsible for the content of this advertising. I think the current uh, poll, I think morning consult is somewhere 60-19. Kind of failure to launch, but we'll spend more time, hopefully in the second hour on this. We're so jammed up. EJ, uh, closing thoughts. Uh, I just want to say again, I think McCarthy uh, did extremely well, represented us well. Uh, we're in a negotiation, and Biden's already crumbling. Also, remember, they didn't bring up the 14th Amendment, none of the gimmicks. He didn't put up any of the threats, any of the gimmicks. I think we've chop-blocked all the gimmicks, including the one with Lawrence Tribe today, the thinking of new duties. This is how desperate they are. In the war room posse, you've done such an amazing, amazing job. This is why they're coming after Trump with every aspect of lawfare, because of you. They want Trump out of the way. They think by getting Trump out of the way, they get you out of the way. EJ, uh, thoughts, observations before you bounce? Well, Steve, to your point on just how desperate they are, we have Janet Yellen today. Th- think about this. She is actually personally calling CEOs, warning them about a, a default. I mean, this is just absolutely unprecedented. We literally have the Treasury Secretary trying to scare our biggest business leaders into uh, essentially pressuring Congress uh, into just the, giving them the the administration the clean debt ceiling increase that they want. So they are absolutely desperate. And if I think if McCarthy really just stays on the gas, he's going to be able to to get a win here. 
EJ brings up another brilliant point. I put it up this morning on Politico. I said they're so desperate. Politico had a story. They're out calling CEOs, scaremongering them, CEOs, about what to put pressure you know, on their employees, to have people call Congress, what we do here in the war room, but we do it legit. We don't have the Secretary of Treasury. She's calling CEOs to tell how ca- catastrophic it's going to be. This is where the EJ, fabulous point. I've got it up on Getter. In fact, that's one of the reasons you want to get Getter. I'm putting up stuff all day long. EJ, how do people get to you? What's your social media? Where do they go to get all your analysis? You're a numbers guy, which we love. Uh, where do people go? Uh, best place to find me is going to be on Twitter, at Real EJ Antoni. And just like the Treasury statement uh, that we mentioned earlier today, or earlier in our conversation, you know, I post all my reviews of those statements so that you don't actually have to read through them. You can just get the top line uh, on all of those different data releases and stay informed on what's really going on in the economy. No, that's why your stuff's so amazing. EJ, thank you. Uh, look forward to having you back on here. Make sure you get to his Twitter. We'll get to his Twitter. Get DJ's Twitter. Sign up because he does the, he does the summary. He breaks it down for you. Let's go ahead. Tucker Carlson, this is blockbuster news. This is signal, not noise. And, man, it's going to lead to a dogfight over at Fox. Let's go ahead and play it. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. You often hear people say the news is full of lies. But most of the time, that's not exactly right. Much of what you see on television or read the New York Times is, in fact, true in the literal sense. It could pass one of the media's own fact checks. Lawyers would be willing to sign off on it. In fact, they may have. But that doesn't make it true. It's not true. At the most basic level, the news you consume is a lie, a lie of the stealthiest and most insidious kind. Facts have been withheld on purpose, along with proportion and perspective. You are being manipulated. How does that work? Let's see. If I tell you that a man has been unjustly arrested for armed robbery, that is not, strictly speaking, a lie. He may have been framed. At this point, there's been no trial, so no one can really say. But if I don't mention the fact that the same man has been arrested for the same crime six times before, am I really informing you? No, I'm not. I'm misleading you. And that's what the news media are doing in every story that matters, every day of the week, every week of the year. What's it like to work in a system like that? After more than 30 years in the middle of it, we could tell you stories. The best you can hope for in the news business at this point is the freedom to tell the fullest truth that you can. But there are always limits. And you know that if you bump up against those limits often enough, you will be fired for it. That's not a guess. It's guaranteed. Every person who works in English language media understands that. The rule of what you can't say defines everything. It's filthy, really, and it's utterly corrupting. You can't have a free society if people aren't allowed to say what they think is true. Speech is the fundamental prerequisite for democracy. That's why it's enshrined in the first of our constitutional amendments. Amazingly, as of tonight, there aren't many platforms left that allow free speech. The last big one remaining in the world, the only one, is Twitter, where we are now. Twitter has long served as the place where our national conversation incubates and develops. Twitter is not a partisan site. Everybody's allowed here, and we think that's a good thing. And yet, for the most part, the news that you see analyzed on Twitter comes from media organizations that are themselves thinly disguised propaganda outlets. You see it on cable news. You talk about it on Twitter. The result may feel like a debate, but actually the gatekeepers are still in charge. We think that's a bad system. We know exactly how it works, and we're sick of it. 
Starting soon, we'll be bringing a new version of the show we've been doing for the last six and a half years to Twitter. We'll be bringing some other things too, which we'll tell you about. But for now, we're just grateful to be here. Free speech is the main right that you have. Without it, you have no others. See you soon. Pretty Bob, <laughs> old man Murdoch, suck on that. Is that a throwdown? And remember, Tucker's walking away. It's a big payday. Tucker was the number one guy in the business. I think twenty million bucks. He's walking right there. I think he's at twenty five million dollars walking away. And they're going to have a, a a huge throwdown in the courts, right? Old man Murdoch, I told you from the stage of CPAC, you're corrupt, demonic. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about you and the TV for stupid people. Tucker Carlson now going to go to Twitter in a hard throwdown. It's all great. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We're coming in for the second hour. It's okay. I want to give everybody a heads up. McCarthy's just announced, I think, a 6 p.m. press conference, 6.15 press conference in the Capitol. We're going to go there. we got Caroline Levitt. we got Tina Deskovitz. I got Natalie Winters. We got Brian Costello. We're going to fit in what we can fit in, but we got to go to this press conference live because you are the ones that are causing this. This is your day. You had his back, and we're into it now. The creditors committed. Creditors committee not totally happy about the deal. We'll see how it develops when Biden blows us off. Be back in a moment. For War Room veterans, you know we have been all over this supply chain issue with China and medications and the uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients. China has a stranglehold on us where there's a way to break that. Jace Medical. I got an emergency medication kit from them. The FDA just declared a global shortage of medication and warned that critical antibiotics are in stream short supply across the United States. But you know that because you're a viewer or listener of the show. Now, here's the action you can take to correct. Do yourself and your family a favor and get your Jace case right now. It's a pack of five prescription antibiotics you'll have on hand for common emergencies. Just visit JaceMedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, JaceMedical.com. Take a few minutes and fill out the form. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. You'll be glad you have the Jace case. Go to Jace Medical. That's one word, J-A-S-E, Medical.com, and enter code Bannon at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code Bannon at Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. You know what the problem is because you've watched the show. You can break, you can take action and break that problem by going to Jace Medical and get your Jace case today. Action, action, action. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. 
Use the code WARROOM at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. Do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out. 